America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, in fact, another great month in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And will it be a great month when we actually get a handle on this range of mass killings all around the country? There is a big piece in the Washington Post. Why are Americans shooting strangers and neighbors? The shooting of neighbors in a Texas case, including a young boy as young as nine, and the killer still at large, a killer who had been deported from the United States at least four times, according to ICE, could be even five times. Why does that kind of case go on here and go on here so uniquely differently from other countries. Well, here's one point that uh, is made by a massive new report by NPR, National Public Radio. Part of the reason is because the United States clears fewer murders than any other industrial country. We have uh, in many American cities like Chicago, 30%, one out of three uh, murders that are actually where they arrest a murderer, or identify a murderer, or apprehend a murderer. In other words, we are, are completely awash with unsolved crimes. The uh, killer who murdered at least five in Texas is at large, and they've been tracking him with dogs. They have apparently 200 officers looking for this guy can't uh, find him, uh, but uh, we will give you the very latest on that. The idea of killing, they also use killing as a uh, description for successful comedy. You've heard that, oh, he killed tonight. Seinfeld killed tonight. Uh, did uh, Joe Biden kill? And why is it that people are looking at Joe Biden and his performance over the weekend in the White House Correspondence Dinner, the star-studded White House Correspondence Dinner, why uh, people are saying that what he pointed out was a way that Kamala Harris can actually change her career trajectory. And concerning career trajectory, uh, there are all kinds of problems for Governor DeSantis, including a speech that was very poorly received, a speech in London, uh, why should that count against him? What does he need to do to reorient his campaign if he's going to have a chance of seizing the Republican nomination from Donald J. Trump? Uh, we will get to that, and we will also get to what uh, one commentator identifies as a scary scenario that would absolutely prevent uh, Joe Biden from winning the presidency. Now, some people might find that reassuring that Biden would lose. Others would find it scary. What is the scenario that most uh, frightens the people over at Newsweek? We will uh, give that to you uh, here on the Medved Show, where 1-800-955-1776 is where you can reach us with your comments or conclusions. Okay. First of all, the uh, the latest on this, uh, 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 just the shooting in general, which is so appalling in the United States right now, and it it is it is 
gotten people's attention because it is so incredibly pointless. Uh, the piece in the Washington Post by Scott Clement and Danielle Faquet and John D. Harden, it begins by saying across the country this month, what they mean is last month, April, today being May 1st, across the country this month at least four men have opened fire on someone who'd stumbled upon their space, resulting in one death, two injuries, and a car pocked with bullet holes. The apparent acts of snap aggression have reinvigorated the debate around the prevalence of stand-your-ground laws in the United States and a pressing question. Why are people so quick to pull the trigger on strangers? Why did a 65-year-old man kill a 20-year-old woman who had accidentally pulled into his upstate New York driveway? Why did an 84-year-old man fire two bullets into a 16-year-old boy, wounded him in the head, who had mistakenly knocked on his Kansas City, Missouri door? Why did a 43-year-old man in South Florida allegedly shoot at a 19-year-old Instacart delivery driver and his 18-year-old uh, girlfriend who had arrived at the wrong address? And then, of course, there's the case of the two cheerleaders who accidentally got into the wrong car. Uh, and, and then, of course, this from CNN, uh, five killed, including an eight-year-old in Texas mass shooting. A desperate manhunt is underway right now in Texas for a gunman killing five people, including an eight-year-old. And, and police are racing to a house in Cleveland, Texas. Uh, overnight on reports of an active shooter. At least three others were wounded in a brutal attack. And now the search is on for the suspect who took off before police arrived on the scene. Uh, here is CNN's uh, Ryan uh, Young describing the story. Listen. They were neighbors, and in fact, they were uh, talking to him across the street. He had a gun, and apparently he's been firing in that yard, according to the sheriff, many times. Mm. They asked him to stop shooting because it was disturbing the baby inside the home. At some point, apparently, he became angry and then actually went inside the home and started shooting. He shot five people, according to the sheriff's department, including an eight-year-old. And one of the details about this that stands out that's quite scary is the fact that two of the women who were killed seemed like they were covering younger children three other children survived this but when you think about this desperate search right now the sheriff's department does tell us they do have an id from the man who's involved in the shooting they talked to his wife they believe he's about 12 miles away from the shooting scene in a wooded area they're chasing him down mm. but take a listen to the sheriff when they got here they found four people deceased in inside of the residence uh, and there was um, an eight-year-old that uh, had been shot. Everybody that was shot was shot from the neck up, almost execution style. We know him by name, uh, Data Bird. Uh, we've got his Mexican consulate card. Plus, there was a ring doorbell on the uh, victim's house that we actually captured him uh, coming up to the front door with, with uh, the weapon. Yeah, clearly this is troubling, but you hear that. The ring doorbell that they mm -hmm. had there, then shot almost execution style. Wow. The kids who were also in that home who survived were covered in blood. There were 10 mm -hmm. people in that home. And then you think about the five other shot execution style, including that five-year-old. Um, obviously a desperate search. Hopefully we'll get more details as today goes along. Cause
Okay, look, uh, Governor Abbott identified the uh, shooter and the victims as uh, unauthorized immigrants who were here in this country. The shooter apparently deported numerous times. Now, you get deported, in his case, it was because of drunk driving convictions, apparently, or at least drunk driving arrests, and uh, then deported from the country, and then he comes back. Obviously, he had a home. It was a home with some acreage in it where he habitually would come home and shoot his gun. His gun was an AR-15. The point that is made by uh, gun rights advocates, and I think that they're right about this, is that in this particular case, uh, the fact is he came into the house, he entered the house, and it was a house that was had in the midst of a, a Christian church retreat. The people who were there in the house, the victims, were Honduran Americans who uh, were part of a church and doing a church retreat when the uh, the mothers ended up dying in sacrifice to cover their children from being shot in the head by this evil, evil man. So what happens here? And what does this have to do with uh, United States policy concerning crime? It actually has a great deal to do with that. We will get to it and more uh, coming up on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. No, it's not just Texas. Uh, it's on the Michael Medved Show. It's actually right here in Seattle. It's in Chicago. It's across the country. Uh, right here in Seattle... On uh, Saturday night, uh, on uh, around 10.30 p.m., uh, two men were fatally shot and a third was critically wounded at Cal Anderson Park in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood. And this is uh, appalling because it is a nice neighborhood. It is a desirable neighborhood. It's actually one of the places that is considered the heart of Seattle nightlife, such as it is. And um, when it comes to Capitol Hill, what it says, one person died at the scene, the second died at Harborview Medical Center, the third was taken in with life-threatening injuries to Harborview. The police chief, uh, Adrian Diaz, said officers responded around 10.30 p.m. Saturday to reports of a shooting near Pine Street and Nagel Place. This is right in the area that once upon a time in uh, the weeks after the killing of George Floyd, this was what had been turned into CHOP, uh, the uh, Capitol Hill-occupied protest, or CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Remember, and the police were taken out of there. But uh, the uh, Seattle Times reports the officers responded 10.30 p.m. Saturday to reports of a shooting near Pine and Nagel Place. Police were searching for a fourth uh, man who was possibly associated with the uh, shooting, according to the police chief. The shooting occurred in the center of Seattle's nightlife district as uh, people packed the neighborhood bars and restaurants during one of the first warm evenings of the year. 
The police chief said, we have a lot of people out here who are trying to enjoy their night. And then this is what happens. People are too quick to pick up a gun. A Saturday shooting is at least the eighth one to occur on Capitol Hill this year in 2023. That according to Seattle crime data. Uh, then uh, police responded to reports of more gunfire on Sunday. A different incident. Shortly afternoon, a 24-year-old woman was shot in the abdomen in West Seattle. Uh, a semi-automatic handgun was recovered from the scene, and a 29-year-old man was arrested on investigation of assault. Shortly after, officers responded to 911 calls reporting a large group fighting in a parking lot in Seattle's Olympic Hills neighborhood and possible shots heard uh, earlier in the morning. A 42-year-old man was found with a stab wound to his back. Several witnesses identified the suspect who was still at the scene to police. The 22-year-old male suspect was arrested on investigation of assault. I mean, okay, then there's this, Chicago uh, shootings over the weekend. Last weekend in April, last chance, at least 27 shooting victims, five dead in weekend gun violence across uh, Chicago. And then this from CNN, authorities have arrested and charged a 19-year-old for a shooting early Sunday morning that left two teenagers dead and left four others wounded, according to a news release from the police department of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Cameron Brand was initially arrested on six charges of aggravated assault after he was identified as the sole suspected shooter, the release said, but the charges were upgraded to include homicide after two of the victims, who were 16 and 18 years old. Just think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. You remember where you were when you were 16? 18 years old? These two people died at University Medical Center in New Orleans. Uh, three teenagers, including a 14-year-old, were killed and another was injured during a shooting in Philadelphia on Friday afternoon. Philadelphia police say officers responded to a report of the shooting around 3.30 p.m. Friday in the Longcrest neighborhood northeast of downtown Philadelphia where they found three victims. That was... That was kind of the neighborhood in West Oak Lane where um, my grandmother lived and I grew up. Uh, police found a 17-year-old male lying on a sidewalk outside a home with gunshot wounds. Uh, the second victim, an 18-year-old male, was found on the front porch with gunshot wounds. A third victim, a 14-year-old boy. This is Philadelphia, uh, was found inside the doorway of the home. Okay, what is what is going on here? They they make the point that in the uh, Washington Post article where they talk about this whole range of shootings and and people drawing a gun on somebody who's coming to pick up his twin younger brothers. Uh, this was that uh, case in Kansas City and shoots the young man, 84-year-old guy, who spends all his time watching cable news on TV. Actually, he was watching Fox News. Uh, 
with, with all of this going on, why? And what they say in the Washington Post article is it's a reflection of the national anger. It's uh, an angry time in our country where people are angry about everything and they take out that anger in shooting. But there, there's actually something substantive. And, and so often a lot of this is, is feelings because the feelings are just overwhelming. It is so depressing and so alarming and, and such a bad development. Uh, there is this from National Public Radio. More people are getting away with murder. Unsolved killings reach a record high. And here's the piece. It's by Eric Westervelt on a Weekend Edition that came out on Saturday. But it's a result of a lot of research, and it's extraordinarily important. More murders across America are going unsolved, exacerbating the grief of families already reeling and worsening the largely cracked trust between police and public, especially in communities of color most affected by gun violence. And then they talk about a Filipino guy whose partner was killed uh, in front of the restaurant that they ran together. I haven't had any words, said Mark Legaspi, about the murder of his cousin, friend, and business partner, Arkdel Anabo Jr., 39, who was known as Jun. He was shot just outside their popular Filipino fast food restaurant, Lucky 37, in East Oakland, California. Why is it that other countries, Britain, France, Germany, Canada, can solve most of their murders, but we in the United States... And on the Michael Medved Show, talking about this uh, terrible, terrible trend, which is not so much that more murders are committed, though there is that, but the terrible aspect of the trend is that more unsolved murders are committed, that the United States does a worse job of almost any place else of actually solving the murders that are occurring here. And as they report in this, uh, in this bulletin from uh, NPR, National Public Radio, the frustration and pain are shared by hundreds of families of murder victims in Oakland and across the country whose cases remain unsolved. While the rate at which murders are solved or cleared has been declining for decades, it has now dropped to below 50% starting in 2020, a new historic low. What does 50% mean? It means that most of the people who are killed, they never arrest anybody. They never find the killer. And that's why it's so tragically linked to this awful, awful case in Texas where there were 10 people in a home who were part of a church retreat, who uh, tried to get the neighbor to stop firing his AR-15 at midnight so that the kids could sleep. And so he went in with that same AR-15 and killed eight people, five people, pardon me, execution style.
we saw a sharp drop in the national clearance rate in 2020, said Professor Philip Cook, a, a public policy researcher and professor emeritus at Duke University and the University of Chicago Urban Labs, who's been studying clearance rate for murders for decades. It reached close to 50% at that time nationwide, which was the lowest ever recorded by the FBI, and it hasn't come up since then. That makes the U.S. among the worst anywhere at solving murders in the industrialized world. Germany, for instance, consistently clears well over 90% of its murders. Think about that. You commit a murder in Germany, there's a 90% chance you're going to get caught. You commit a murder here in the United States, uh, less than uh, a 50% chance you're going to get caught. While reasons behind the drop are multifaceted, Cook and other experts warn that more people getting away with murder in the U.S. is driving a kind of doom loop of mutual mistrust. Low murder clearance rates impede further investigations, which in turn potentially drive up killings in some communities where a lack of arrests undermines deterrence and sends a message that the police will not or cannot protect the public. Communities that are especially impacted by gun violence believe that the police are ineffective or indifferent, and as a result, they're willing, less willing to cooperate and provide information the police need to have successful investigations. Says Professor Cook, who has several research articles on the topic coming out. Uh, Oakland is a prime example of that vicious circle. The uh, city's per capita homicide rate remains abnormally high, and its murder-solve rate is among the lowest anywhere, hitting just 36% last year. Can you imagine? That means that nearly two out of three murders go unsolved. If you take out the handful of older cold cases that were solved during 2022, the clearance rate in Oakland was just 27%, and an analysis by the San Francisco Chronicle shows. Drennan Lindsay, who's an Oakland deputy chief, says, Well, I certainly don't believe in anyone getting away with murder. These cases are never closed. We never give up, you know. We keep working at it. And I also think we can only get better. Well, if you're only clearing 27% of the cases, of, of course you need to get better. Uh, Lindsay, that is the uh, deputy chief here, Dredden Lindsay, says the veterans among her 16 detectives are often handling, handing two dozen or more cases at a time far above the federal recommendation that detectives carry an average of only four to six new homicide cases per year. Uh, th this is, is all extraordinary. And when you hear about every weekend, uh, like the 27 people who were shot in Chicago this weekend, and you might say, oh, well, 27 people were shot, thank goodness only five of them actually died, but for the other people, what a wound, a bullet wound can do to you, a knife wound too, 
in terms of permanently changing your your life for the worse. The FBI defines a murder cleared if a suspect has been identified and arrested, but a murder can also be declared cleared through what's known as an exceptional means. For example, if a suspect is dead, if the suspect cannot be extradited, or prosecutors just refuse to press charges. The arrest rate per murder is often a better indicator of how police departments are actually doing at holding killers accountable. Professor Cook's research, for example, shows that from 2016 to 2020, the percentage of murders in Chicago with any type of weapon resulting in at least one arrest was only about 33%. And in Durham, North Carolina, between 2017 and 2021, just 41% of gun homicide cases resulted in at least one arrest. Other reasons for the further decline in murder clearance rates, experts say, include uh, chronic police staffing and recruiting problems. We don't have enough cops. We don't in Seattle. It's been obvious for years. In fact, that was one of those things that Bruce Harrell got elected mayor to correct. The fact that more murders are committed with firearms also, which can uh, result in fewer witnesses and less physical evidence. In addition, judges, prosecutors, and juries have higher evidence and procedure standards than in the 1960s when 90% plus of homicides were listed as solved. In other words, we have gone from 90% of homicides being cleared, as Germany does, down to less than 50%. No wonder Americans, when you ask them, are frustrated or angry or insecure and all of which contributes to this hair trigger kind of temper where you see people on on a lovely evening a lovely spring evening when people are out and about and they go to cal anderson park which is a nice park and especially now that the homeless have been cleared out from the encampment there and there are fewer needles on the ground but uh, the the idea that that people who have experienced a murder, who have someone who is dear to you or someone who is close to you, who has actually been killed, and the police cannot apprehend the killer, uh, getting uh, murder is terrible. Getting away with murder is uh, beyond terrible and is profoundly destructive to society. Uh, meanwhile, are there reasons to laugh? The uh, president was trying to uh, win some support and sympathy by getting people to laugh at the correspondence dinner. We'll play you some highlights and lowlights of that coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show.
And one of the big events that occurs, it's a social event. It is uh, uh, basically a social, political, and entertainment industry event uh, that brings together White House correspondents, uh, press people of all time, of all kinds, politicians of all kinds, uh, various celebrities. It's the White House Correspondents' Dinner. You may remember that uh, President Trump made it a point not to attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, I believe that part of that is because during the time that Obama was president, uh, President Trump was a uh, a guest. And this is at a time when President Trump was emphasizing the uh, Obama birth certificate issue, one of the crucial issues of our time. And uh, Obama <laughs> made some pretty tough and uh, very funny remarks about Trump. And you could see him sitting there stewing. He didn't like it. He didn't like being teased. But uh, Obama... Uh, was there. He was uh, a regular participant. And of course, Biden is continuing that tradition. The uh, Roy Wood Jr. was the master of ceremonies. And uh, he began his monologue uh, by talking a little bit about the firing of Don Lemon. Uh, this at the White House Correspondents' Dinner over the weekend. Listen, clip 11. I still think that Don deserved more seeing there. That ain't how you fire somebody. It's messed up. How funny is it that you work in the news, then watch on the news that you got fired from the news? <laughs> Don Lemon is now the most obnoxious guy in the history of CNN. That's not fair. Even Jeffrey Tubin looking at Don Lemon like, ooh, he rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, he also uh, joked about France increasing uh, the retirement age, for which they supposedly have half a million people on the streets protesting now that they're raising the retirement age to 64 from 62. Uh, here was the comment at the correspondence dinner. We should be inspired by the events in France. They rioted when the retirement age went up two years to 64. They rioted because they didn't want to work till 64. Meanwhile, in America, we have an 80-year-old man begging us for four more years of work. Begging. Begging. <laughs> Let me finish the job. That's not a campaign slogan. That's a plea. <laughs> Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> and uh, then... Uh... President Biden got up there and uh, made a uh, one fairly uh, workable line about uh, some of his acquaintances, emphasizing, emphasizing how long he has been part of American politics. Listen, clip 14. Essential. After all, I believe in the First Amendment, not just because my good friend Jimmy Madison wrote it, This dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. And uh, then he also had something to say about Ron DeSantis, who was uh, 
bombing with his own uh, speech presentation back in London. This is uh, President Biden on one of his potential uh, opponents. Listen. I had a lot of Ron DeSantis jokes ready. But Mickey Mickey Mouse beat the hell out of me and got there first. (laughs) Now look, can't be too rough on the guy. After his re-election as governor, he was asked if he had a mandate. He said, hell no, I'm straight. I'm straight. I'll give you time to think that one through. And, uh, and then he also spoke uh, a little bit more about, uh, well, it's White House correspondence, so Biden joked about his own lack of availability to the press. Uh, clip 20. This dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. And uh, Scott Jennings, a, a senior correspondent uh, for CNN who's been a, a guest on this show, uh, said that, uh, well, he tried to explain why Biden was mocking the press. Uh, while he talked about his lack of press conferences. The line that will stick with me is, in a lot of ways, this dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. I'm just going to, for the journalist in the room, he wasn't laughing with you. He was laughing at you. I mean, the reality is, I think he's mocking the press. The guy does not take questions, and he's up there joking about it. And I just... And they're clapping and they're laughing about it. And I, I don't know. I just, I think he owes, I'm a, I'm pro reporter. And I think the president of the United States ought to have to talk to these reporters and not mock them. Okay. And talking about, uh, not taking questions and cheerfully walking away, uh, big announcement today by governor Jay Inslee, the governor of the state of Washington. He is the longest serving governor in the United States right now because we don't have term limits here in the state of Washington. Many states do. Uh, Jay Inslee, it was expected, might run for a fourth term in 2024, but it was not to be. Uh, The uh, news from Governor Inslee, he announced this morning he would not be seeking re-election after his uh, three terms. He emphasized climate change during his three terms in office. He also, uh, before he got elected to his last term, uh, had a brief uh, short-lived candidacy for president. Uh, Inslee, a Democrat, was first elected in 2012, subsequently won re-election in 2016, and in 2020. He briefly ran for president in 2020, suspending his campaign in the summer of 2019, and pivoting to running for governor and winning a third term. Serving the people as governor of Washington State has been my greatest honor, he said. During a decade of dynamic change, we've made Washington a beacon for progress for the nation. I'm ready to pass the torch. Uh, Two prominent Democrats in the state have been mulling runs while Inslee has been making up his mind. State Attorney General Bob Ferguson who is uh, the early favorite uh, probably to win 
the next governorship. He's a Democrat, of course, in a very Democratic state. And then Hillary France, another Democrat who might be just a tad more moderate than Bob Ferguson. Uh, she is also the Commissioner of Public Lands. She is also a likely candidate. The one thing to keep in mind, and why Republicans should look at this, is that if a, a vaguely qualified and electable Republican were to be found, there really is a decent chance of bringing it off because of this election system we have. In the state of Washington, there's no primary election. There's no Republican primary and Democratic primary. Everybody's in the primary together. So if they have, and they probably will, four or five Democratic candidates, it is entirely likely, and there is one Republican candidate who is viable, it is entirely like, likely that that Republican candidate will clear the primary and and be able to run against a Democrat in the general election. Or even if you have two Republicans running and uh, they're both viable and they both raise some money and you have six or seven Democrats running and you easily could, well then you could have the situation where there are only two Republicans in the general election. Wouldn't that be spectacular? That happened with a race for state treasurer recently, and that's how we got a Republican state treasurer briefly. Uh, next hour, uh, there's a question about uh, DeSantis and what's wrong with his campaign. Uh, we will get to that. The question is not, do people like Ron DeSantis? The real question, does Ron DeSantis like people? Uh, some commentators are saying that the problem with the guy is he doesn't like people, or at least not the American people. Why not? We will get to that and much more coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth.